0: Well, welcome to keep taking ground the saxophone podcast i'm your host Jesse Ryan and we're back with season number two I know you've waited a really long time so again, I want to say thanks. uh, Huge thank you to everyone that has tuned in commented shared the episode subscribed and um, also just waited for this next round of of interviews i'm really excited to bring you 10 new conversations this season Um, if you're new to the podcast welcome. And you can expect conversations with award-winning and in-demand saxophonists from around the world and across jazz and contemporary styles well with no further ado today's guest is a native new yorker that has established himself as one of the most in-demand players on the new york city music scene he's performed and recorded with james moody ron carter wallace rooney john Fadis, the village vanguard jazz orchestra the Mumble Legends Orchestra, Mark Miller Fifth Harmony, and many more. He's he was one of the 20, 2013 Thelonious Monk saxophone competition semifinalists, and he has been featured on multiple Grammy nominated recordings, including the recent twenty twenty one Grammy winning Meta Night Revenge" with the Eight Bit Big Band. I remember watching uh, the Thelonious Monk um, competition twenty eighteen. That's when I just moved to Toronto, so that's a that's a um that's how i was actually introduced to to our guest today as a graduate from both manhattan school of music and sony purchase he has taught private lessons at the new school master classes at sony purchase new york youth symphony amount many more and he's released two albums at the first first things first on the inside outside in music label and the sam dylan andrew Gould quartet it takes one to know one, which was released on the Seller Live label just this um, past August. He's also an endorsing artist with Con the Diary Reads, KB Sacks, and Sylvester Ligatures. With no further ado, I want to welcome my man Andrew Gould. How are you doing, man? Yo, what's going on? Thank you, man. <laughs> man it's 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 kind of surreal to be chatting with you right now. I've been following you like since you know the, the the Monk competition when I just moved to Toronto. I remember sitting in my in my room watching it and like it's such an exciting year. There's so many great players in that that year. Um, so, yeah, man, how have you been?
1: I've been good. I've been good. Just busy. You know, Um, trying to keep up with everything, you know, now that, you know, we're getting out of the summer and getting into the fall and yeah, at least feel like they're ramping up. You know, now that we're officially in like the sort of post pandemic. Yeah. Guess, so pandemic technically, but yeah. um, time. So, you know, just a combination of lots of life stuff and gigs all coming back and everything but it's all great it's all great so
0: has this summer been busy for you
1: yeah it has been um that that was pretty much back to normal too i mean as far as things happening in the city yeah um, gigs um yeah different private events and things and so generally it's been pretty pretty busy yeah
0: that's good man that's good no, I have to mention that you've been a huge sort of inspiration to myself. I mean, many, many saxophones of, you know, of my generation, but um, definitely to me, man, like um, there's one tune on my on my record called Seeds that definitely was inspired by, um, I think your tune, is it Mambo Jumbo?
1: Oh, Mambo Jumbo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. man. Thank yeah. you. I'm, I'm honored that you that you feel yeah, that
0: way yeah man absolutely man so let's let's start right at the beginning man um how did you get a saxophone in your hand and like you know how did you begin playing the saxophone
1: yeah so um I was born in on Long Island um and I grew up primarily in a town called East Meadow and um okay. really like the one thing that that it was a public music school program there and so really the one thing that that school district had going for it at the time was they had a really, really awesome music program. And right from yeah. when the kids started up to elementary school, like they tried to get every kid enrolled in, in music um, that, that wanted to. Yeah. And, and all through like the, all of elementary school, middle school, high school, there were great teachers at every, every year. And there were people that were, were actually working and playing music and going to the city and subbing on Broadway and, you know, doing lots of, like real stuff you know and so they had a lot of real information to tell their kids about Mm -hmm. you know this is what you you can this is an option of something that you could do with your life if you want to and this is kind of how that would go you know so i i started on the cello actually when i was in, (laughs) in fourth grade yeah and i i liked music but I, I didn't really take to the instrument so much it, mm. you know, the The rental was kind of just like this really old, like kind of smelly giant, <laughs> wood that, you know, when you're a fourth grader, the cello is a pretty huge, it's still pretty big yeah. as an adult, yeah. but for a fourth mm-hmm. grader, it's massive, you know? And so just like this massive, like smelly old piece of wood, <laughs> I really didn't, you know, attract me so much. So, um, I was able thankfully to switch to the saxophone, uh, in fifth grade. Okay. And, and I remember, I was like the last chair because I started a year late. Right. Um, and I was in like the first band rehearsal and the band director got really angry with the kid that was sitting in first chair. So I think just to kind of um, spite that kid, he was like, you know what? Swap places with Andrew, Andrew, come up from last chair. You sit where that kid is. And, and now you sit where he was. So like, <laughs> I was just like, Oh my God. But I, I think it was, it was like something about that scenario that made me feel like, okay, I need to step up to the plate. Right. Right. And um, yeah, it, it just, That feeling, coupled with the fact that I had just like really really great teachers, and there were a a lot of other driven students, and 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 Long Island just had like a lot of really great opportunities, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So that's 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 what a story, man. Wow.
1: Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like that's that's how I got started with. Yeah. And I've had a lot of great teachers, you know, even in middle school and high school, people that yeah already still to this day like man they play their asses off, you know, so. I'm really, really thankful for that.
0: You know. I was just gonna ask: Are there any of your peers right now that maybe um, you rub shoulders with, coming through um, that um, high uh, middle school experience?
1: Mm, not, not middle school. Okay. Um, high school, though, like you know that you mentioned the album that I had that was Sam, like great. I was one of the guys. He's also from Long Island and came ah. up with another, you know, another good music program. Um, and so we met when we were in high school.
2: Mm, okay.
1: Yeah. So, but he's really—he's like kind of my oldest friend, and he's really like the only person that I could say that like I'm—I still, um, really play with. Maybe there's a couple of other players in the scene that I sometimes see, but they're not—they're not like full time. Yeah, jazz. yeah, yeah. Like so I just see them randomly on some other gig, you know. But it doesn't yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's cool, man. Yes, yeah, it's always, it's always beautiful hearing, um, the journeys of 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 saxophone players and musicians in in general because it's. I find it's never a straight line. There's always twists and turns and, and different things that, that happen along the way that kind of shape um your, your path. That mm-hmm. being said, you know, the 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 title of this podcast is Keep Taking Ground. So let's let's take a moment and talk about um what have you been in pursuit of? Like what is what has been sort of your ground ground that you've been pursuing, um conceptually, creatively, artistically, you know, what are some of the things that you've been um working on and going after.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, when I when I graduated school and I, and I uh, hit the scene or whatever you want to mm-hmm. say, You know, um, when I started, you know, playing professionally and, and doing the things that, you know, I want to be doing, you know, well, I guess first I, I, I wasn't, right? I, I just wanted to start meeting people and, and playing gigs. So a big part of it, like I, I never really was so picky and specific about the type of music that I wanted to play. I just love playing music and I love playing the saxophone and I just wanted to be like one of the cats. Like, I just like wanted to be playing music on a high level with people and like enjoying it and somehow staying alive in the process, you know, right. <laughs> that was really, that was my minimum, you know, like I'm not picky. Like it could be any style of music. I feel like there, there's something to be taken away from any style of music, you know, especially when you really get into it and you really check mm-hmm. it out and you play it on a hopefully high level with people that also take it seriously, you know. So, um, kind of as long as that's happening, like, I'm generally happy. But when it comes to me doing, like, my original music, you know, um, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about, like, where I'm at now, like, as far. So, I did, like, my first album. Yeah, It was really, I wanted that to just sort of be, like, a, uh, a semblance of the, the different styles that I like and, and the things that I was doing in the yeah. like, city and sort of. Set that as far as like okay, here's a lot of the stuff that I like. Here's my meat and potatoes, you know. Yeah. Um. There's this this other album that just came out with 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 Sam and I is really that's just me and him just going off having fun, just two yeah, friends yeah. Play, playing, you know. And we wrote some original music, some contra facts and we're just having fun. But you know, like now, like I, I've always been really. So I guess when I moved to New York, I started falling in with a lot of like hip hop and groove, um, like jam sessions and meeting meeting musicians in that world and and that always seemed to me like that was a separate thing and then there mm. was jazz that I actually did you know yeah and um I guess those two worlds sort of started merging more and and mm-hmm. all the people that I met from one world started meeting all the people in the jazz world and over time you're like there's all these little scenes and bubbles in New York City and people that know each other from this college that moved there together and over time it all just sort of congeals now everyone knows everybody you know um, but yeah, I've always really kind of had a passion for playing um, more funk and, and and groove related music. Yeah. So yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm kind of now working on is like putting together some music for another album, doing doing that stuff. You know, oh,
0: amazing. But,
1: but yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I, I like every, I like everything. I love I love straight ahead. I love, yeah. you know, big band playing. I love everything in the mail. You know, so
0: yeah. So let's take a step back from. Um, before you moved to, to to New York, um, I imagine that you were already playing at a really high level when you moved to to New York on on the scene. So, what sort of things do you think uh, kind of shaped your development before that that point? Um, what are some of the things that you valued as a player and maybe some of your mentors kind of helped you value when you like through high school and through through college?
1: Yeah well I think um the first thing is just generally having a positive attitude not expecting mm. that things are going to go from zero to 60 for you in in one day you know that mm. there's there's a lot of work and a lot of patience that has to um, happen you know in order for you to you know, acquire what you want you know I I usually tell a lot of my students like you know because everyone is always looking for the shortcut like how can I process this information how can I get all these cool substitutions to start coming out in my improvisation whatever it is you know it's like the fastest way is just to work hard on it right away as soon as you (laughs) get the reality that you need to work hard on something that is going to be the fastest route in order to improving to getting to reaching whatever your goal is you know that's good so, yeah i mean i just generally feel insanely lucky that i've just had really great teachers really great you i know, mean my, my, my parents too you know like and and friends and just like i've generally been surrounded by positive people that all kind of instilled this view you know um whereas you know like don't don't judge stuff in a, in a, in a negative way. Don't, mm-hmm. don't be negative, stay positive, keep your head mm-hmm. up, work hard. Oh, wow. I recorded. I sound really awful on that clip. Well, great. I'm thankful for having the experience to realize that I sound like ass now. So mm-hmm. now I know what to do So hopefully get better. You know, it's all learning. <laughs> you know, it's, it's never mm-hmm. like, okay, I played this one solo. That's where I've arrived. And mm-hmm. that's the, the final representation of who you are, what you are, what you've done. It's all, it's all a journey like we never stop you know mm-hmm. so yeah I guess I'm that that's just such an important thing you know but um I, I would say like when, when it comes to undergrad like one one of the things that I really liked about about SUNY Purchase one, I mean I guess I've technically it was really close to the city right it's like only like 20 minutes away from the right. city of a drive um so you know but it's still kind of like its own sort of bubble because unless you have a car unless you want to actually make the trek down to the city and deal with parking or whatever yeah, yeah. You're, you're on your college campus you know and, and, and so that that experience was really good because you know the classes at least at that point where they were really inspiring but it wasn't like i was bogged down with my homework all the time you know we're working on just my class stuff so man i played jam sessions like two times a night you know i <laughs>
0: two i <times>
1: a night. <laughs> in addition to practicing like every spare minute i could get like in right, between right, classes right. in the morning before classes after mm-hmm. classes were over you know and and there were there was a large contingent of people there that were in my same mind frame where i'm just going to practice i'm using this opportunity to get as good as i can because when i graduate i don't know what the hell's going to happen so Great. you know i want to be able to hit the ground running as as well as i can you know um yeah yeah like you know and, and and sam was one of those people there were several drummer friends bass player friends like and and we'd play duo like i'd just see if like my drummer <laughs> friend was in his practice room and Yo, it's I know I am I'm I'm here shedding. Are you gonna be around at midnight? Like, can I come up to your spot? We please play duo. And then we yeah. play duo for like another two hours, you know? Um and usually at two two a.m. the security guards would come around and um make sure all the doors were closed. That was like the official time when you had to get yeah, out of yeah,
2: school. Yeah, yeah.
1: And sometimes at like one fifty, we would just say, All right, let's just be quiet for like twenty minutes, let them do their rounds, let them pass over, and then we just keep playing and we'd stay there till like three, four in the morning and just <laughs> <play>. <laughs> you know because yeah. we didn't have anything else to do we didn't have to you know if we get to class a little tired the next day it was worth it i mean we're playing music mm-hmm. all along you know yeah so, man that's just such an important thing also right that like you know you have to you can talk about music all day but you have to apply you have to yeah. make it with real people you have to do the actual thing right like yeah you yeah. could be the strongest football player on the team. You could bench the most weight. <laughs> and maybe that helps in some ways, but yeah. unless you actually do the thing that you're trying to do, then yeah. like, you know, you're never going to be the best football player. You're never going to be the best musician or whatever it is. Good, Kind of a corny analogy, but.
0: No, I, man, know. it's 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 a really good one. Really, really good one. Yeah, man.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I guess that's the other thing is that I, I'm very happy that I was able to have the time to sort of, figure my, my my shit out, you know, um yeah. over over that period and then also be guided by some amazing teachers who were telling me the right stuff and just like getting it, you know, getting to just put it in the oven and let it bake for a while when I was in, in school, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: That can certainly continue to happen when I graduated, you know, I it's not like I had arrived when, when I graduated either. I I had a mm-hmm, lot mm-hmm. so much to learn still, you know, but you know, you continue to um to evolve and and, and develop you know when you're out playing you yeah well and you get exposed to new kinds of music and all that stuff you know
0: that's something thanks so much for sharing that man there's a couple things that stood out um well before i say that did you did you take some lessons at some point with john gordon
1: yeah so i did um he's one of my all-time idols um i i think i I've, I've told you this before he's, yes oh my god but when I was in purchase, I was studying uh, primarily with Steve Wilson on Outdoor mm-hmm. Sax, my mother, one of my idols yes. for sure. And you know, <laughs> Steve's such a busy guy. I think at mm-hmm. the time he was like on like partially like touring with Corea's band called Origin. Uh, okay.
2: mm-hmm.
1: So he was like, Yeah, I'm not gonna be there for a few weeks, but I have a great sub coming in. And so I remember I was just practicing. I was I was in the practice room like reading through a Dick Oates solo that mm-hmm. another one of my idols that, yes. that <laughs> had transcribed. And uh, I get a knock on the door. And I open up the door and it's John Gordon, Gordon there. And I was just like, my jaw hit the floor. I remember this vividly. I wonder if yeah. he remembers this too. <laughs> but um, I was like, oh my God, you're John Gordon. I'm such a huge fan. Yeah. What are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm subbing for Steve's lessons. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, Steve missed missed a bunch when I was there and mm-hmm. I just got to hang with John. So I studied, I, I guess I technically didn't like officially study with John, but- I had many, many lessons with him and right, um, right, right. you were amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mentioned that because um, some of what you're sharing, I, I I've heard John echo in that, that having the positive attitude. I remember so I studied a bit with him last year and I'm actually about to re- restart lessons with him um, just t- tomorrow, actually um, just online. Um, one of the things he really helped me do was to get out of my own head
2: Mm.
0: and to focus on the process more than the outcomes and um so one of of the things he said is that you know you have to take the pressure off yourself of being a genius Mm. there there are very very few geniuses out here and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the, the the quicker you realize that the fastest way to to Progress is is accepting that is it's going to take hard work and just immediately jumping and doing that. So he really helped me to get out of my own head. And one of the reasons why I feel like if I'm, I need to just kind of go back from him, and he's kind of been my sensei over the last two years. And um, um, with my you know with the birth of my son and just crazy scheduling and just just <clears throat> having that guidance again is um from him is great. And so I'm I'm just hearing some of that being echoed and I think there's so many musicians that kind of struggle with that too just like trying to sound great all the time or be great um and he just kind of helped me to focus on like you know playing with good time playing with good sound Mm. um play simply with those two elements just like have a really good foundation and then you can always build um upon that is that something that 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 resonated to you as well
1: very 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 much so absolutely yeah i I remember him saying similar things to me too when i was i mean i still am but when i was trying to work out things with him at purchase you know Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. yeah he was great he was he instilled so many awesome ideas in my head you know um Mm -hmm. yeah what an awesome teacher that's really really cool that you're you're hanging with him now too
0: yeah man yeah i i actually met him um through his book foundations for improvisers I was kind of and I was living back in, in, in Trinidad at the time and we did um, some skype lessons this was like twelve years ago mm-hmm. and um now he's teaching in um in um, University of Manitoba in Canada so we kind of reconnected um but a bit of a segue here so we've talked a little bit about you know how you started in music and what you've kind of been in in pursuit of um I'd like to shift a little bit and talk about um, your work as um, as a lead alto player in big bands, and also just sort of your your improvisational concepts and how you've developed that over time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, that that I hear and many people would probably second this is like there's a really strong sense of the tradition in your playing, um, but a really unique virtuosity that you that you've developed um, that I really love. And I would just kind of like to hear you talk about that as well as your work with the 8-bit band and, um, Vanguard Orchestra, and just playing lead alto, because that's a, that's a thing of its own too, you know?
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you. First of all, um, I guess, you know, when it comes to the lead alto thing, like that, I guess it started just because you know when i was in school right one of the things that they can teach you that's a tangible musical topic is how to read music well you know so um i had i remember there was even like a a big band full of all like the the music teachers like they they formed a big band um Mm. they still still play they still sound great called the leon petruzzi jazz orchestra and i was in um in high school they would always just say andrew you know come down bring your horn Hang out, you know, and and so like my teachers, both both my my high school band teacher and then my private teacher were the two alto players in that band, right? <laughs> so um I would go and they would like let me sub in like or sit in and and um sub in and and hang out, and so I got a lot of experience like really early. That was like some of my first early um professional experience was just like sitting in a big band, you know, um, and reading music, you know. So that was something that I I felt strong strong with doing and i had some experience with so even when i got to college and everything i was auditioned for the big band always tried to be involved in that side of things I was like there's another musical opportunity that this place is offering i want to be part of it you know um so yeah i I had a lot of experience doing that when i graduated school and when i graduated with hand school music you know um i already knew a bunch of people around town that were doing big band stuff because of this you know and so those are some of the first calls i started getting um and you know i i didn't really separate Oh, this is a big band gig this is a small group this is just someone's calling me to play music you know so i want to do the best job i can you know and mm-hmm. checked out a lot of a lot of the stuff you know you have to immerse yourself in okay this is how people played this style of music or you know, all the different styles that are involved in this type of music. Yeah. You know, so I listened to a lot of that stuff and I would listen to Ellington and, and Basie and Dad Jones and Tito Puente and Machito Orchestra, everything, you know, like the list could go on and on. Yeah. And just really get the sounds in my head so that way I can hopefully get closer to doing them in person when I'm playing you know Mm -hmm. so yeah I I think I just kind of fell into doing a lot of that stuff and you know that's that's what the scene is is word of mouth so someone says hey I need an alto player that can play big band stuff and you know if you as long as you don't mess up too bad you Mm know people people you 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 know you spend enough years and your name circulates you meet more people Mm -hmm. and um yeah it just sort of became this thing that like I I do now you know um but it was it was wasn't even really like a conscious decision that hey I want to be like a lead alto player or I, right. I okay. a lead band guy like it's just you know I I like that style of music and mm-hmm. I, people call me I want to do it as well as I can you know just yeah. like anything else you know so um yeah but I I do really enjoy the idea of like reading and blending and playing tune and fulfilling um the the you know like a small part that leads to the bigger overall thing you know um there's yeah. a lot of really fun things about that and and then certainly getting to meet all these other you know when there's a big band there's that many more musicians so that you know i get to hang out with four other
0: saxophone players and, yeah yeah, and yeah nerd out for a couple hours you know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah i'm down <laughs> i would like to talk talk to you about um maybe some of the different different experiences you have you had in different big bands and and how um, playing with the Vanguard orchestra, it's different, like with the 8-bit, you know, band. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, um, in terms of the sound con- conception, or maybe like articulation conception, uh, energy conception, um, what's, what's different for you um, in, when you're playing with a small group, racist with a big band Mm -hmm. and um would you be open to maybe even like demonstrating that if if there's something that's tangible to to to, yeah
1: yeah sure I can think of maybe something uh that I'd be able to do but I I guess like like I can say this like so when I'm playing with a small group like even if Mm -hmm. when I'm improvising or I'm playing even just a melody right like if I'm playing my own interpretation of a melody by myself I'm not thinking so much about or, or I should say not that I'm not thinking I'm not worried about being on a rhythmic grid in the right. same way that I am when I'm playing like the same melody with the big band, unless gotcha. maybe I have, let, let's say I have a melody by myself, like I'm playing a melody over the top of the big band, yeah. sure, I'll be more expressive with it. But in general, you know, I'm trying to be a lot more true to what I'm seeing on the page because right. there's, it might lock in with what's yeah, happening yeah, yeah. In, in other ways, you know? Um, I might be inflecting in certain ways that are a little bit more specific to the style that the right. artist. Whether, whereas, where I'm playing a melody by myself, you know, um, yeah, it could go in a lot of other ways, just depending yeah. on what I'm feeling and what I'm hearing in the moment and what the mm-hmm,
2: band, is, mm-hmm.
1: you know. So yeah, I don't know. Like if I was to play like a, a melody, um, I, I should also say that like when I'm playing in a big band, I'm listening for whether I'm in unison with anyone else whether that's harmony or like uh, like harmonic unison like i'm playing the same note as someone else or Mm -hmm. rhythmic unison whereas i'm just the same rhythm as someone else but we have different notes you know and that all informs my decision as far as to how i inflect notes um how i decide to use dynamics when i use vibrato if i do or don't or how i use it you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah, those things don't really. I, I'm not really worried about lining up with someone else when I'm playing by myself. You right. Know? right. 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 And when it comes to soloing, sure. Like a lot of times, like playing a solo in a big band, you have X amount of space. You know, it's not always open. So you're mm-hmm. you're playing, and even if you do have an open solo the arrangement kind of takes you and leaves you in a certain spot so yeah what you decide to do and how you start your solo is still being framed by the arrangement of the song you know you're kind of fitting into that more Mm -hmm. in the way that you want but still that element is there whereas you know everything with a small group is a lot more kind of open-ended you know yeah so Yeah. yeah i don't know like if i'm gonna play the melody to like days of wine and roses by myself right like i might get a lot more loose with it, you know? Um, I don't know, like the the one version of this tune, well, there's many versions, but like <laughs> Joe Henderson with Wynton Kelly, Trio yeah, version yeah. Like where he's just like, <laughs> you know, like um, that's something I might not do if I'm playing a big band or I might, it just depends on what's happening, right? But so yeah. if I'm going to play melody by myself, there's going to be a lot more things that I'm free with, you know? <laughs> even yeah. i'm just saying like i wouldn't play that way if i'm playing with the big band whereas right, right. You know, playing a lot more rhythmically on the grid a mm-hmm. lot less you know i'm listening i guess you know like when you hold out a note in the big band usually 99 of the time something else is happening right, right, right. Like that you're they're taking into account that your phrase ended yeah now it's going to be some sort of answer happening and so i don't yeah, feel the point, point. Yeah, so I don't feel the need to um, necessarily like ad lib or answer my own phrases or right, right. little things that the arrangement might already have covered mm-hmm, itself mm-hmm, in that yeah. same way. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I could play the melody more straight now, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's so it it depends on the style and the and the groove and the tempo and 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 so many things, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Cool. But right. Definitely things I think about like how I guess I fit into the bigger picture, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, i think what i'm hearing you said that there's more of a uh, it's more on the conceptual side how you think about approaching the music but it's all still music you know you're still trying to play them play what the music is asking
1: exactly yeah and what yeah. function what you know if i'm not playing the melody right like what function does my part serve right now yeah. is yeah. is this counterline to the melody am i answering a phrase is this just like a, serving as some sort of a background figure Mm-hmm. is there another main voice happening? What instrument is playing that? Is, right, right. is it like a flugelhorn playing a mezzo piano? Well, mm. I get into account and, you know, adjust accordingly, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, kind of always being very hyper aware of what not only what the purpose of your part is in the moment, but also are you in harmony? Are you in unison with anyone else? Like, you know, and then blending and playing. Um, yeah. Huh. Yeah appropriately
0: as you're playing uh i thought about um the setup on equipment um would you mind sharing what what your setup is right now
1: yeah so um it's a summer mark six mm-hmm. and um, i'm playing a vintage meyer 6m yeah. piece like i'm from the 60s so i guess mm-hmm. it's a new york usa is what they call them mm-hmm. um uh, it's a diodario jazz select 3m reed and then a silverstein um ligature too Cool. Yeah, I mean, when I was this brings me back to when I was studying at, at Purchase and John was subbing for a lot of my lessons and I was talking to him about sound because yeah. at that point I was playing on a really big mouthpiece with like a size four reed and <laughs> I was working really hard and my intonation wasn't particularly great and I wasn't getting an even sound in response. Yeah, it's like man, just get a Meyer six and like a medium reed and figure out how to make that work for you. Right. And then when you can do that and you can do all your stuff the right way, then if you come back and tell me, hey, I wanna play this giant mouthpiece or this really small mouthpiece or a really high baffle or whatever, you know, and it's an artistic choice, sure, that's fine. But right, right now you need to just to figure out how to like generally get a middle of the road mouthpiece to work for your Yeah. yeah. And yeah. That, this is actually like almost the exact same setup that, that at least he played at the time he played, I think he still plays on like a a vintage Meyer six from the same era. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Also like either a three or maybe a two and a half read, like Mm -hmm. a read. Um, And, 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 and yeah, and a Mark six. And he demonstrated to me at the time, he's like, you know, sound comes from you, you know, you, you you can do things to make yourself sound brighter or darker before your air even gets to the horn.
2: Mm.
1: So he's so, and then he demonstrated to me, he's like, if I want to sound bright, I just tell myself, Hey, I want to sound bright now, and then I do things to, <laughs> yeah. to to get closer to that sound, and, and vice versa when playing dark. So yeah. I I kind of was like, wow, it's, you know, like the flexibility is so important, you know. Um, yeah,
0: I think that's that's something that that, that I've heard Harvey Patel talk about. Um, really, in terms of the, the the idea, and I think it's something that he got from um, studying with, um, uh, Oh, should the the name is 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 feeling me you now joviola oh okay. with, with joviola um the idea of sound imagination uh the 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 system in in your brain that deals with um sending information to your um motor system when you imagine what sound you want to create it actually takes that information and sends signals to your muscles to respond to know what to do
1: a hundred percent, man. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like when you tell your students, if you want, like, sing the note, right? Because right. when you sing the note, you do all this involuntary stuff or a subconscious stuff, right? Mm-hmm, like your mm-hmm. throat assumes a certain position. You hear it. You, mm-hmm. you adapt it to the note that you want to mm-hmm. sing. So you can yeah. get it to come out. Yeah. And, and yeah, man, the saxophone works in the same way. You know, it yeah. takes a little bit more of muscle memory acquisition and in order to know how to best shape your sound for each note and how your throat and how your air feels, how your your tongue and the inside of your mouth and all this stuff. Yeah. How it feels to get that note to come out and resonate and sound the way you want it to,
2: mm-hmm. you know, but
1: you have the right sound in your head that, well, that's like step one. You have to yeah. have a sound in your head, you know? Yeah. And, Absolutely. And that really kind of helps all the other stuff, the physical stuff that I'm talking about kind of, kind of definitely all kind of targets it in the right direction you know
0: yeah 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 and that's that's amazing let's let's chat about sort of your conception as an improviser as a, as a soloist and um i think there's kind of two big big areas that i'd like to tackle um developing technically on the instrument and how that overlaps um with you know, working on language and developing as a soloist and improviser
1: yeah, sure. So I mean, you know, the saxophone it's just a very finger oriented instrument, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, that's what yeah. we we change notes, you know, and and um using our fingers, you know. And that's one thing that Garzon would always tell me cuz I would always over articulate. He'd be like, mm-hmm. "Man, air and fingers. Yeah. You can just going from B to A without mm-hmm. articulating anything. That's not an articulation because yep. you, you yep. don't. Change. There's a finger,
0: sp- finger articulation. Yeah.
1: Exactly. There's a, a specific point in time when your note, when you hear the note change, and that's an articulation in and of itself. So if you yeah. get this stuff really, you get your fingers landing with the, the precision and accuracy of like a percussionist, mm-hmm. a drummer. That really helps you in so many ways. It helps because it helps your just your time be in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, yeah, it it um, it helps so that way you don't have to over articulate, right? If this is all landing evenly. You can line up much lighter articulation, and it all sounds falling into place without having to really lean on over articulating every note. Of course, Mm -hmm. a lot depends on the style in the moment, and still articulation of prime importance. But you know that's more the icing on the cake. Whereas this is it's air and fingers. You know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like um, a big part of my practice has and always will be just moving my fingers with just some scale patterns, just Mm -hmm. getting my getting the these things working right and you know kind of I, I generally do tone that's like that's like the first thing that I do just some long tones and overtones and things when I pick up the horn yeah. get get my voicing and everything that's mm-hmm. all of that locked in yeah. um, and then it's kind of just um reestablishing my my neural connections to my fingers when I'm playing mm-hmm. but yeah I mean there's just you know I practice scales a bunch of ways I'm sure there's a lot of uh, more ways that I could be practicing them too yeah um, but yeah like I and I, I try to actively like think of new ways to practice scales and, and you know incorporate that and in, into my technical practicing and I'll would do you, a bunch of things yeah yeah sure would go you ahead.
0: mind showing sh- sharing some of that uh, r- right yeah. now I mean I think there's such a wide um, cross-section of people listening to this podcast some are beginners and some are, some are professional musicians and I'm curious myself about how you go about doing that
1: yeah, so, um, well, first, just when you take a scale, right, you could play, you know, everybody knows, you know, literally just playing it from the bottom to the top. And so I would always try to play a scale over, you know, as much of the full range of the horn as I can, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the tactical things, I won't immediately concern myself with altissimo as much. That's That, that can be a separate practice. And, and at some point, it's good to merge the two for sure. Right. Um, but when I'm just trying to get, like, my fingers going, it's like I'm, I mostly want to deal with just, like, Feeling good over the meeting the instrument. So, one thing I, I don't even know how to explain this as well, so I'm just going to kind of do it. Sure. <laughs> I'm doing that. I'm I'm starting on the root, going up to the ninth, coming down the ninth, going up to the eleventh, coming down to the eleventh, going up to the thirteenth, on the thirteenth, and then landing on the root again. And then doing the same thing in reverse on the way down, where I start on the root and I come down to what would then be the seventh on the way down, back up to the seventh, down to the fifth, up to the fifth, down to the third, up to the third, back to the root again. So, you know, you can do that fast or slow, but this really gets you inside the scale and kind of dealing with every mode of the scale too right because you're starting you wind up playing off of every single note the the scale so you you wind up doing dorian and phrygian and and lydian mixolydian aeolian locrian this way um and you can do that all 12 keys major melodic and harmonic minor also harmonic major too if you want yeah Um, yeah yeah you know so that's just just one of the things that i would do with the metronome all 12 keys all different scale qualities every day just just to start you know right. but then you can also do diatonic um triads and seventh mm-hmm. chords off of mm-hmm. this part of each note too which i'm sure you're familiar with yeah. and yeah. you do, do those in four different ways right you can do them all right all ascending right so i'm mm-hmm. starting off the root of every single chord and playing it yeah. upwards you can also do ascending descending, descending. Right? yeah yeah all right and then descending ascending Or the first one is descending and the second one is ascending and and then all descending too, where you're coming down off of each step, you know, so that's all stuff you can do those in all four ways. Um, Mm -hmm. do intervals that way too in in thirds, fourths, fifth, sixth, sevenths in again, major melodic minor, harmonic minor and harmonic major, you know, um, so yeah there's that even just that that's a lot of stuff that's like that's like hundreds and hundreds thousands of, of notes in all different ways yeah. and not only are you getting your fingers going but you're getting the sound of all these different intervals and scales in your ear and modes right. everything. like you're really you know i used to, i would do that stuff for years before i even realized how i could apply half the shit that i was playing right <laughs> but when i finally realized oh so on a half diminished chord, I can play locally in sharp two, and then I'm, and I'm thinking about well, how do I spell that scale? And then I've realized what it is. I'm like, oh wait, that's already here. I know right. this already. Right. I can play right. on this, you know. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, even though that the saxophone is finger oriented, when you you know sometimes it takes your brain longer to catch up with how to apply the theory. Absolutely. Um, but it will, and then things will really start to click. You know, yeah, yeah, so these yeah, yeah. exercises, they serve so many purposes. Even if you just want to look at it from a technical standpoint, great. Getting your time together, getting your fingers together, getting these scales under your fingers. But then also, as you you know understand the application of it all, then you, you're you just that much more free to improvise with this stuff um, and, and use it in a musical way later on, you
0: know? Yeah, I mean, pretty much you're just working on you know, in like, the, the common knowledge, foundational things, skills, intervals. All it's nothing intervals. crazy. You, yeah, you, yeah.
1: You know, but I, I think when you start to, again, right. You, when you start to understand the theoretical ways that you can apply this stuff,
2: mm-hmm. then
1: you can just switch gears and all of a sudden you can play this complex stuff because you can, you can, you can play substitutions and you can superimpose chords and you can, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things that you can, you can morph this stuff into, but yeah. even though it feels very kind of fundamental and harmonically um, straightforward, you know, um, you can turn this and twist it into a million things, you yeah. know? But yeah. you, you start with a really strong foundation of doing those things in time, cleanly and clearly, and, like, you're going to be golden, you know? And so that's still, like, if I have half hour to play my horn on a day, it's going to be long tones and some of that stuff still, you know?
0: That's very cool. Man, you, you mentioned how that stuff kind of intersects with – um. Developing of the improviser and, and the, and the hammer, the harmonic application, um, of some of that stuff. So can we just talk about that, you know, and, and um, how you've developed, um, mm-hmm. over the years of the improviser? I know that some people have worked on whether it's like solely transcribing, some people have done, you know, working on patterns, um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's, there's so many different approaches that, so I'm just, I'm just curious what you've done or what combination of things you've you've done if you could even maybe demonstrate how you've worked on that stuff you know
1: yeah sure so I think you know um I definitely did my fair share of like patterns or like learning a lick and and doing it in all 12 keys and still something that I that I do you know when Mm -hmm. I hear I like or something I want to work into my playing and yeah uh, but I never felt like I was as much of a pattern guy like I didn't go through a million patterns I didn't try to um, play them all the time, um, and or like superimpose them all the time. And my soloing, you know, um, I was into transcribing, and then I was just trying to absorb the language. And I would, I would be much more into just lifting, like, well, transcribing full solos a lot, but then also lifting specific pieces from either those solos or just finding other little pieces of mm-hmm. lines that I liked and taking those and working them in twelve keys, understanding how I can apply them, how I can mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shift them and vary them, and um, so I yeah, I, like a lot of like my stuff I would write out, you know, I would find a line that I really liked and I would you know learn it by ear and then I would write it out and then I would try to think of different different chords that I could use it over, um, and then also maybe how I could tie it into playing a line and maybe try playing a tune and see if I can consciously use that idea in different spots whether it's just the the concept of the line like um a tritone substitution right or 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 whether it's actually specifically though that collection of notes or the the intervals that i liked you know um so yeah i was i never felt like i was super patternistic i i I always wanted it to kind of be a little more uh organic and less forced And, and even i certainly did work on patterns too but i would really just try to forget it. Like that would just be a practice room thing. And then I would really try to forget it and then mm. just kind of play. And then if I heard it in the moment, so be it. And if, if not, then it was just a technical shed and maybe help my ears too, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Do you feel like if your, your years of, you know, going to so many jam sessions helped you to connect the technical with sort of like what you naturally hear?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's a combination of, of it all. I mean, you're, every time you play the horn, you're connecting those things, you know what yeah. I mean? Whether you're just practicing or you're playing a tune by yourself or you're doing the scale patterns, you know, you're, you're reestablishing and, and re-solidifying those, those ear to, to muscle connections mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. you do it. But yeah, you know, like, like I was saying, like, sure. I think the most important thing is that you actually do it with real people and, 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 and play music with real people, you know, and, and work it out and understand how to, you know make it all sound like it has a vibe and it means something and that's not just a scale pattern it's not just yeah. like it's all it's meant for more than that it's that's just like a little piece of the puzzle you know and it's good to obsess over those things in the practice room but I think to really kind of not when you play and that, that's always been my, my 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 view on it you know um yeah stylistically though yeah like I, I never I never worried so much about oh I want to be a modern player or a modern, I want to be You know, I just wanted to, like, again, like, I I like it all. I like the modern stuff. I like the early stuff and everywhere in between and everything, you know. So,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. at that point, I just tried to, you know, I guess serve the music and and play what I was hearing, you know. And, and, you know, I I think we all have our own identity anyway when we play. We all have our own way of processing and hearing the information, um, absorbing it, and then, you know, regurgitating it, you know. So uh, I never felt like I was personally too concerned with like trying to put out my own voice of doing something i i just Mm -hmm. i i guess maybe i was just kind of hoping that that would take care of itself over time you know
2: yeah
1: but you know certainly some people have a more a more conscious approach to that and 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 it works for them i think it just really depends on kind of the, the the type of music that you fall into doing you know i don't i'm not out here playing my original music 24 7 you know what i mean i'm i'm sidemanning it a lot of the times you know and yeah. then sometimes playing my own original music too so i think that concept works for me you know um and then when i get to play my own original music sure it's it's um it's then me playing how i'm hearing it but i'm less yeah less concerned with it falling into being modern jazz or being
0: yeah yeah I whatever think that's, it is i think that um having opportunities to be a leader versus a sideman and how frequently you're in those kind of things is a, an important distinction for for process as as, yeah. as well you know um yes. there's one more question i have before we, we wrap up this part of the conversation i've recently um sort of conceptualized this idea that um i mean and the idea is coming from being being a dad which you you're a dad as, as as well um that young stage of um, of a child's development where you see exponential sort of growth, like every day they're learning new things, and, it's, and you can see it right before your eyes. Like, wow, I wish I could learn that fast again, you know, and and experience that kind of quick development on my instrument. But I think the 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 take or the the framework I see um, in that sort of quick development is that there's a stable environment, and even you can even think about it, it's like a child developing in the womb. Mm-hmm. There's a stable environment. First, and then there's new information, or new things being introduced into that stable environment, that allows for the growth. But you need the two at the same time. You need to have a sort of a stable environment, but you also need new information being introduced um, to to grow. Um, and obviously, the frequency of the information, the type of information, the quality of the information, the focus of the information it really depends on which way the the thing leans towards. So bringing that back to music now, are there any sort of like stable, um, exercises, things that you've done to develop as an improviser that have been things you've always returned to and introduced new information to it, to help you develop?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. also, being a dad and seeing how that unfolds too, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like one of one of my first college teachers was another one of my idols, Dave Pietro, another great alto player, mm-hmm. and he instilled in me in the very beginning, like, you know, why don't you why don't you compose some solos? Why don't you just like take the time to just sit down, really think about the tune, the melody of the tune, how it lines up with the chord changes, the harmonic progression of the tune. And compose a solo and say to yourself, this is gonna be your ideal solo. So you're gonna edit and refine it and make it so that way when you play through it, it sounds like like the perfect solo that you wish you could have played, you know? Um and, and that I think it's really, really good to sign to kind of take all the knowledge that you know, um, and and then slow everything down and just really work on, on making it exactly how you want it, you know? Um, because then when you do, right? then you you have that down. That's something Mm -hmm. that then works its way in your ears. So when you then go and improvise on whether it's that tune or another tune, you have all this stuff that becomes part of you and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. move it away from the page and you vary on it. But that just really, to me, that just like really strengthened the hell out of my foundation even more. So yeah, I I was really always into just like writing out solos like composing my own solos. You know and just not not because i ever wanted to um verbatim play them it's just it really really helped me um it, it was like a springboard or jump jo- yeah, you know yeah, jump yeah, off. Yeah. so yeah that that's one thing that i i did especially when on like tunes that i remember like i had i i struggled with or i didn't know how to approach you know like i remember definitely doing that on giant steps a whole lot because i was mm-hmm. like oh, i gotta figure out like how do i how to connect these chords how do i play ideas through this Type of tune, you know,
2: yeah,
1: um, and you couple that with, of course, listening to the tune and you know, just generally listening, right? That's obviously so so important, um, but so okay, so that, and then the other thing is, I would improvise and I would record myself a lot, you know, um, even if even if it's just me playing a tune by myself in the practice room,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I just see like, can I hear the time well? Can I hear the chord changes well? If I didn't know, if I just like, if you just threw me in the middle of the tune. Somewhere would I be able to tell where the time is and what the chord changes are? You know, Mm -hmm. and so it's playing with that level of clarity. Um, striving for that level of clarity is so important. So I can identify every nook and cranny of the tune by literally nothing other than my note choice. You know, I mean, and and you can even play a tune rubato and um, you know, not worry about the time, just phrase through it right. Um, and then really give yourself the time to to think and hear your ideas and to really just outline the hell out of the harmony. And and so, um, then record yourself doing it, listen back and say, okay, how does it sound to me? What can I improve? And and having this, um, you know, this, this periodic check-in with yourself, like, is it all all kind of coming out the way I want it to right now? You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah, those I think are two things that I kind of steadily did throughout my, my, my process that I feel Mm -hmm, like helped, mm -hmm. you know, um, at least get me to sort of chisel away at like, this is, you know, even though, like I said, like, I don't, I, I never had so much of a conscious idea. Like I want to sound this way. I, and I've, you know, I've heard some people and some recordings and oh man, I want to get into this. I want to get into that. But like, um, I, I've always had still a clear idea of like what, like where I wanted my sound to be, where I wanted my ideas to be. And it's just a combination of the people I've listened to and what I've enjoyed over the years, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that what I'm actually doing my sound, my ideas, everything kind of falls in line with what I'm imagining that I hopefully sound like, you know?
0: Yeah, man, that's, that's good. I mean, I can probably talk about this for, for, for many, many hours. Um, but, um, th- thanks so much for your, for your time. And, um, I, I us to wrap up this conversation by doing a bit of a, of a segment that, that I call three, two, one, so, I would like you to share three albums that have been instrumental for you. Two saxophone players that have been instrumental, and then leave the audience with one piece of advice.
1: Sure. Okay. So, okay. So, first three albums. Three albums. Yeah. Even that's a hard question. Jesus. <laughs> just three. Um. Okay. <laughs> if, if I had to say the first one, it would probably be Cannibal utterly Something else. Oh. Uh-huh. Um. Just. I mean, still to this day, I, I mean, that's that album is just a, a piece of art. It's just exquisite. Every yeah. single note, yeah. everybody's sound, there isn't a single note or phrase or anything out of place on that whole album. It's just yeah. incredible. But specifically, that's one of the first albums I ever heard when I was when I first started playing the saxophone, and I heard Cannonball sound, and I was just like, what? Yeah. You know? <laughs> So yeah, for me that's still like the the pinnacle of how the alto should sound. That that album really, you know, yeah. cannibal in general, but specifically that album, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another one that I think is super for me, super influential is um, I mean, there's many of his albums, but but uh, my man here, John Coltrane, um, Newport '63. <laughs> yep, that yep, album yep. for me just it's the live energy of it uh, mm-hmm. and the emotion and the and the heart that he plays with um, yeah. in general, but that album, like just to evoke that and um, get that to come out and to transfer that to your audience. And hopefully if, if I could, my idea is if I can make the audience feel the way that I felt when I listened to that album, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good goal to always reach for, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. emotionally, man, like every single thing on that album just like hits me smack in the heart, you know,
2: well, yeah.
1: um, I could say the same thing for something else too. <laughs> so yeah, I number three. Oof, man, that's tough because I could go in so many ways. I guess. Hmm. I really, really like uh, Joe Henderson, page one. That's really mm. far up on my list too. Um, kind of for all the reasons I mentioned about the other albums. I know yeah. I just I absolutely love Joe Henderson's compositions. I love how melodic and how grooving his tunes always are. The playing, the sound the uh, the explorative harmonic way that he plays, um, yeah. he doesn't really sound like anybody else. He he's coming from all those other guys, but mm-hmm. Joe Anderson's very different rhythmically. He's not on the grid. Harmonically, he's really kind of all over the place in, in the slickest of ways.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, um, and those are my top guys, right? Cannonball Train and Joe. So okay to pick an yeah, album out of each of them i could yeah, you know yeah. and more of each it's hard this is hard to just say yeah. um but okay so now the next question was to two say
0: players.
1: M- two players well you okay.
0: kind of you kind of kind of already mentioned two
1: so i guess i kind of covered this one yeah you um, cover that
0: one yeah I had, to say,
1: <laughs> I had to say two it would be it would be and cannonball right. though just okay. just from an influence point um yeah you know joe henderson is Every bit is amazing, but um, his influence, I guess, doesn't hit me as it, it's in more nuanced ways about improvising,
2: mm-hmm.
1: whereas like Train, it's the emotion, Cannonball, also the emotion too, but the, the, the sound, you know, so those things are, I just, for me, are the, the prime importance. You know, that's what we're doing when we're playing music, we're, we're evoking emotion, we're trying to elicit emotion, we're trying to appeal to people, you know, so those guys me hit me harder than anyone else
0: yeah amazing and leave us with one piece of advice
1: um yeah wow one piece of advice just the quicker you can accept the fact that you need to work hard on something that's your shortcut there is no shortcut there's no <laughs> pill you can swallow there's no it's just hard work and a positive attitude you know um yeah especially well both both of those things but you know a positive you can work really hard but if you have a negative attitude it's not going to work out for you you know it's you have to you have to you have to be a sponge you have to take it all in Uh, you know you have to you have to adapt to certain situations you know Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. you have to be like water you know you have to you you have to be flexible you have to take things as they come you know you roll with the punches you know that's just part of being mission you know it doesn't you don't it's not a luxurious lifestyle, you you know, unless you're like one of like the like a point one percent of musicians, you know, not every gig is just the exact ideal gig. You know, there's things you have to be open minded. You have to understand that, OK, this isn't the music that I want to always play. But there's a lot about this that I like and there's a lot of things that I can take away from this experience. So mm-hmm. that's just a life thing. Like you can apply yeah. that to any other set of life. And so.
0: Yeah. Man. Yeah. So much of what you shared today, I needed to hear today. So, (laughs) thank you so much, man. And um, as you were talking, I feel like if there's so much more, I'd like to chat with you about uh, talk about more like specific improvisational concepts, harmonic stuff, and just like being a dad, being a full time musician, you know. Um, and maybe we can figure out another time when between the busy schedule and my schedule to to have you on again, and we can maybe dig into some of that stuff a little bit more on another time. Um, but thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So I guess all the usual spots online, you know, my Mm -hmm. website is, um, andrewgoldmusic.com. Um, -hmm. I also am pretty active on Instagram, which is just Andrew underscore my last name Gould. Um, but yeah, if you search for me, just type my name into Google or YouTube or something. There's some new videos from the recording session and yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a bunch of more stuff kind of coming out soon too. So yeah, okay. all the usual spots, you know.
0: Amazing. Well, Andrew, thanks again. And um, if you're listening, thanks so much for listening. And I hope this conversation helps you to keep taking ground in your personal, professional and creative journeys. Until next time, peace out, guys.
1: All right, man. Thank you.